1: Hello GM and welcome back. Here's why you should watch today's Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. An old school bank run sees an NFT lender fighting to stay afloat. We'll explain how this affects the board aid's collection and the wider NFT market. Plus, we'll have a deep dive into how NFT lending works. Sergio Silva sits down with the Nifty Phi co CEO Stephen Young. We'll leave you with the key takeaways. From that interview. My name is Elaine Lee. Good morning. Your friendly crypto host and producer is here. With me today, as always, is my buddy Ash Bennington. So let's get right to the price action. Okay, BTC has been trading sideways over the past three days after a steep decline last week. It's up slightly today, but remains down more than 10% on a weekly basis. Investors on the tenterhooks hooks with inflation and the Fed on their minds. The Fed past Jay Powell will give a highly anticipated speech on. Friday, we should learn more about the central bank's thinking and on future uh, rate hikes. Mind you, as a risk asset, crypto remains highly sensitive to Fed moves. Ash, what are you seeing on the Ethereum side?
0: Well, and we continue to see more volatility ahead of the merge in September. You can see it here on this chart. Ethereum is up more than Bitcoin today, but has fallen more in the past week. CoinDesk is highlighting interesting data. From Genesis Volatility, a crypto options analytics platform, the data shows that Ethereum and Bitcoin implied volatilities Uh, On options expiring on September 30. The spread is the widest. It's up to 30 percentage points right now. That's the widest spread we've seen since June of 2021. So, obviously, more than a year of data there showing this spread being at record wides. Implied volatility is a measure of market pricing of future price movements. It means traders expect Ethereum to see more volatility than Bitcoin in the next five weeks or so. That's because of the Ethereum merge, the long awaited move from proof of work to proof of stake. It's likely to happen in the mid-September timeframe, Elaine.
1: Yeah, Ash, I don't think I'm ready for all the emotions for the week to come, but here we are. Let's move on to our top stories today. The NFT bank runs. So what happens to Ethereum? obviously has a big impact on NFTs. That blockchain powers the vast majority of the market, which brings us today to talk about this story. So Ben Dow, a crypto loans platform that uses NFTs as collateral, is trying to steady the ship after a bank run over the weekend saw so it rever- reserves um, for as little as 5 ETH. Why did that happen? Well, you can probably blame a few apes for that. It appears that things have gotten better, but the situation is far from over. We just had a little look this morning, but the floor price right now is just under 67 ETH. Once upon a time, this project was a triple uh, digit in ETH project. So, um, Ash, what do you make of this story right now?
0: You know, Elaine, these are some of the classic lessons from TradFi, things like leverage volatility in the underlying collateral and liquidation protocols. You know, in many ways, uh, we're still learning some of those lessons or maybe a, a more accurate way of saying it would be learning how those lessons apply to the NFT space, to the digital asset space more broadly. There are obviously some challenges here. Uh, These sort of things, we've been talking about them for for a while. I expect we'll be seeing them into the future. Again, these are just systemic challenges in understanding the way that these classic risks in traditional finance work in the digital asset space, Elaine.
1: Mm, we've heard that so many times to all the guests that we speak to um right here at real vision all right moving on to the next story is ftx so cnbc uh obtained leaked documents showing ftx results for last year and they are pretty spectacular a billion dollars in revenue (laughs) why is that interesting
0: Elaine, a uh, billion dollars is interesting because it's a billion dollars. <laughs> I'm sort of thinking of the social network. A million dollars isn't cool, a billion dollars is. This is a, obviously a very big print for FTX. It's the kind of story that one imagines that the management team and their investors are very happy to get out. Uh, I suspect most of that growth has been overseas. I believe there was a number quoted that 5% of the revenue was here in the US. Uh, this is probably not surprising. FTX US, still a relative up-and-comer compared to Coinbase, but obviously some pretty impressive growth, impressive numbers uh, that FTX has been po- posting on a global basis, Elaine. I <laughs> love that SPF. That's
1: just Simply confirm that in the tweet. OK, moving on to stablecoins and Morgan Stanley. So according to a report by U.S. bank Morgan Stanley last week, institutional investors have stopped redeeming stablecoins and their market cap has stopped falling. However, there appears to be a few signs of recovery. Ash, what's the overall picture here outlined by Morgan Stanley for stablecoins in this note?
0: Well, you know, Elaine, uh, stablecoins are now stable at $150 billion uh, in liquidity. This is the first time, according to the report from Morgan Stanley, that we have seen this number not decline uh, since April of 22. So obviously, it's been a few months of contraction in liquidity. This is a key number to getting an overall metric on the price direction of the space and the overall health of the space, Uh, stablecoins obviously play a key role in this ecosystem. At least they do today uh, before the CBDC era has been speculated to come. But for today, obviously, stablecoins an incredibly important metric to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening more generally in the digital asset space lane.
1: All right. So that's a good wrap up of all the stories that's been going on in the past few days in the crazy land of crypto. Now, moving on to the next part of the show, which is something that I enjoy doing and crafting on this particular show. So as we've heard today, the NFT space is developing its own new ways of financing. Ben Dow is an example of peer to pool lending. Lenders provide liquidity by supplying tokens to a pool of assets. Borrowers then take these tokens, i.e., they borrow liquidity from that same pool okay so now this is different from peer to peer lending an example of which is nifty the founder of ceo and nifty stephen young spoke to sergio silva this week and of course a friend of the show he's senior director of web 3 business developer at fireblocks and also renowned nft enthusiasts but before we get into how uh, nifty works so asked stephen what nft projects are doing well right now take a listen
2: over those two years, what kind of um, trends have you seen in regards to the assets that get financed? I know mm-hmm. you mentioned you started with OG, you know, CryptoKitties, CryptoPunks, but obviously the NFT space has completely blossomed beyond that. Um, yes. nowadays. Do you guys do you guys, you know, see more volume going through certain collections? Um, is there a preference from lenders for, you know, maybe loans that might default because they want the assets or blue chip assets? What what can you, sh- can you share with us regarding that?
3: Yeah, so, so like, the, the volume is really skewed towards the upper end, you know, so 60-70% of our volume is on the top 10 projects, and those are all the usual suspects, um, CryptoPunks, um, uh, all of the Yuga properties, so uh, Bored Apes, uh, Mutant Apes, um, uh, you know, that whole kind of universe is also in the top 10, Azuki. Uh, doodles, uh, art blocks is like high up there and autoglyphs. So, so really, it's like the, the all the kind of usual suspects of the good um, projects are, are in there, we see it move around a little bit. So you know, like during like PFP mania, like a lot of the volume was kind of you know, focused around board apes and mutant apes, um, and, and like Azuki Zuki and, and doodles. Once we saw this big kind of downturn, it shifted back to the on chain generative art a little bit. We got a bunch of autoglyph loans, a lot of blue chip art blocks projects like Fidenza's, Ringers, um, you know, those kinds of of things. but really, like I would say, there's maybe 20 projects that really make up most of the volume. Um, and this is one of the things I always you know, people ask me often, like which NFT should I buy? And like you know, what what's a safe investment? It's like unless you can afford 20 or 30 ether a floor, like it's really speculative. You know, like the assets that have kind of proven to be relatively safe enough investments that I might recommend somebody buy them are normally pretty expensive by, by nowadays, right? So this really is a stop, the top-end ones. Uh, default rates, like some things we're seeing there are um, for certain collections, like Bored Apes, for example, it's really low. So like 1.5% default rates. Um, so very, very low default rates. And we often see people repay loans even when the asset is worth less than the actual loan. Uh, because they've got an emotional attachment to it or it's a rare um, uh, like nft that doesn't go on sale often so even if you like you could you know it's a you're paying a little bit more than it's worth right now you just don't know if you'll ever be able to buy it back right because you know often those things get taken up and they go into diamond hands and then those people just never sell them or the only time you ever see them sell again is like near the all-time highs again, right? So it's like, um, autoglosses are very much like this. Like they, they they never sell when the market's down. And then when their floor prices double, then one or two or three will sell. And then like it completely dries up again uh, when the market's down. And then the next time it shoots up again, one or two or three will sell. So they just aren't buying opportunities for these assets um, when they're kind of in the, um, in the, you know, the more grails, Um, uh, kind of category of of these um, NFT projects.
1: All right, get your pen down and, and take up all the names that, uh, that Stephen just mentioned there. So it sounded like Stephen read out the Christmas wish list uh, to NFT Santa. Stephen has been in space for quite some time now. What he considers as a safe investment are projects that are 20 to 30 ether floor. Otherwise, it's all really speculative. Speculative, he says. Ash, what do you make of this?
0: Well, I think there's no such thing as a safe investment in an NFT, um, at least in the terms that we t- traditionally define those parameters in traditional uh, investing. But look, it's really cool. Uh, it's interesting to me that the volume skews that much toward the upper end. 60 to 70% of the volume, uh, in, according to Stephen, is in the top 10 projects. Uh, and also what he considers relatively safe investments, we should probably point out, are very expensive. It's about 30 ETH right now. He's using a 20 to 30 ETH range uh, for the floor price for relatively stable investments in his view. And that's around 50,000 US dollars. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really interesting here is this idea that people repay loans when assets are worth less than the loan. He's talking about bored apes here. It's interesting because it shows a clear emotional attachment uh, to that intellectual property. That's not financial decision-making. That's a, a kind of emotional connection, maybe the way that you would see uh, in a collectible, something like a baseball card or, or a piece of art that people are very passionate about. So it is interesting to see where these sort of boundary conditions exist between art and investment alone.
1: Ash, you say it's expensive, but let's not forget Tiffany, who launched their NFT collection, was asking for around 30 ETH. I also liked it when he said that once we saw this downturn, it shifted back uh, down to gener- generative art a little bit. Um, now, you know, over the past 12 months, that I mean, there has been some crazy moments in NFTs where some of us has probably made that art purchase. And now it's probably in the depths of the hidden folder. But... This is just a reminder that good art and a solid community is probably in it for the long run. A good conversation uh, for that one would be, um, Ash, do you remember the interview that you did with uh, uh, Eric Calderon?
0: I do. Great conversation.
1: That was a good one that you can find on the website, and we'll post that somewhere um, after this show, actually. All right. um, Well, let's move on to the next clip.
3: The way it works is that borrowers can go list assets that they're looking to get loans on um, and they, they get listed on our platform uh, so you as a lender can go in and, and look at the assets that are available um, to, to lend against and um, you would then make an offer and the offer would consist of the loan principal, loan duration and the repayment amount or the apr so it's like three very simple um, uh, properties uh, and then you just sign a message with your um, account to say that you're willing to, to do the loan at those terms for the specific asset. And then borrowers would see all of these offers coming through to them, and then they can choose which ones they find um, the most attractive, you know, so um, the, they'll typically get a range of offers, some low LTV, some higher LTV, um, LTV is loan to value, um, so low high and low some with high apr some with lo- uh, lower and then all different kind of time ranges and you can filter them and pick the one that you like uh, once you accept that loan what happens is the the loan principle gets transferred from the lender to the borrower and the esc- the nft gets moved out of the borrowers wallet into our smart contract escrow account where we make sure that it stays there for the duration of the loan so that you can't um So the the lender doesn't take risk of the person running away with the actual collateral. Um, And then the borrower has the full loan duration to repay that loan. Um, uh, And we don't keep track of the price of the NFT um, during that process. So it's it's 100% up to the borrower to decide if they're going to repay or not. Uh, At the end of the loan period, if they have repaid, um, if they haven't repaid, then the lender can foreclose on that asset, in which case the borrower keeps the loan principal and the lender gets the NFT, so it gets transferred out of the escrow account to the lender. Um, Or if the borrower repays, they can repay any time before the loan period is due, uh, in which case they get their asset back and the lender gets the loan uh, principal plus interest.
1: Honestly, just when you think I've got my head around um, the basics of trading NFTs, the buying, the selling, the making a collection offer in Route ETH. But I feel like Steven's platform is, is somewhat opening up some financial flexibility for NFT holders who own really valuable NFTs. Ash, break that down of what this means in the world of borrowing and lending, in the world of NFTs. Your thoughts on how risky is this stuff? Because that stuff of what we just mentioned in the clip got real geeky real fast.
0: Uh, short answer: It's risky. Uh, as a finance nerd, it's super cool, right? I mean, I, I really like this idea because you have you have supply and demand driving both the collateral uh, and also the competitive bidding process on the liquidity or the loan side. It's cool, but it's risky. Maybe we'll coin a new acronym here today. ICBTR, right? Like this is this is human beings. We can't help ourselves. Ral has talked about this. We're creatures who love finance. We love to financialize things. It's really interesting to see this market building up because it really is based on the supply and demand. I wanted to run through those three loan parameters here that he mentioned, because I think it gives a sense and a little bit of an illustration of how this works. So let's say you own a $200,000 board ape, uh, and and you want to borrow $100,000. So that's an LTV, a loan to value ratio of 50%. This is the ratio of the value of the underlying collateral relative to the loan. Uh, just to give you a bit of a sense of what that means, uh, in, the, in the case of HELOCs, these are home equity lines of credit, uh, it's considered a high LTV, meaning that there's a lot of leverage in it at 80%. However, and this is a big, important however, uh, it's these the NFTs are far more uh, variable, far more volatile you know, the price of, uh, of an NFT fluctuates a hell of a lot more than the price of your house. So just as we continue, you know, to walk through this and explain these parameters, let's say the loan duration is one year. Uh, and Stephen explains that you effectively have the entire term of that loan to repay it. Um, then- Let's talk a little bit about the loan repayment amount, because this is where the interest comes in. It's actually an imputed number. Let's say you borrowed $100,000 on a $200,000 board APE. If your repayment amount uh, was $110,000, that means the imputed APR uh, is 10%. This, of course, is net of any fees uh, in case those are being charged on varying platforms. As you can see, Elaine, uh, there's obviously some volatility component here. If the price of the underlying collateral moves dramatically, you might wind up underwater on the loan. He was talking a little bit about this in the previous clip. So clearly, it's a really cool market-based idea to have supply and demand set these set these rates. Uh, however, obviously, there is risk in doing this.
1: Break down Bennington mode activated right there, ladies and gentlemen. All right. <laughs> On to clip three, uh, this little clip talks about who uses their platform.
2: Why kind of like volumes are you guys, you know, seeing go through the market? How's that trending? Uh, does it, Is there any correlation with like, call it the spot market with like floor prices? Um
3: yeah, so to give you a little bit of context, um, in 2020, we did $400,000 in loans. In 2021, we did $40 million, And so far this year, we've done $195 million. Uh, so it's growing very rapidly. Um, so to- that totals o- around $250 million. Uh, we've done almost 17,000 loans. Uh, you know, So kind of high volumes, and it's really picking up quite a lot. Um, so so yeah and then like correlation with the spots so typically it's got uh correlation with external events so whenever there's a big drop coming uh you know people will kind of leverage some of the existing assets to be able to buy into this drop so they can flip them um if if there's big moves in the ethereum price people will leverage their nfts to either hedge uh, downside risk or to like um, to short the ethereum market or to kind of go long on the ethereum market so there's kind of big spikes in there in there um, when the there's in terms of a number of loans and ether volume there's very little correlation actually to the to the price of uh, of ether but obviously in us dollar terms there's a very big correlation there um, but I think what it goes to show is that mostly People buying NFTs are still thinking of pricing them in NF- in Ethereum. So, like the the volumes in Ether kind of just steadily tick up, and then you know the volumes in USD is up and down based on how like what the Ethereum price is.
1: People are taking out loans. It's a growing space and it's growing rapidly despite a significant downturn in the NFT market. This is so interesting. Money movers and shakers are still coming in. Ash, with your eye on the markets all the time, what do you make of that?
0: Well, you know, Elaine, I was jotting down some numbers. In 2020, 400000 2021, $40 million. This is loan volume. Year to date, 2022, $195 million. So based on the current run rate, uh, that's on track to do more than $300 million in loan volume before the end of this year, 2022. You set up the clip, Elaine, by asking who uses this platform. Clearly, a lot of people are using the platform in terms of the dollar volumes of loans. Those numbers are considerable, Elaine.
1: Yeah. And there's there's also another interesting point here. There's a little correlation of loan volume to to the price of ETH. But anyway, we should definitely keep up with Stephen to see if that's the case with the numbers in the very near future. All right. Let's throw to our next clip, which is institutions looking to come in.
2: I want to go back a little bit to institutions. You mentioned, you know, Hmm. collecting DAOs. Um, What other kind of institution do you see playing in this market? Or have you been approached by, you know, some more Call it traditional, at least when the crypto native space institutions that are looking to come in.
3: Yeah, so definitely like had a lot of um, outreach recently from hedge funds. Uh, So especially, it started really after just after NFT NYC, like Ethereum prices had crashed, but a lot of these blue chip assets, like the initially their Ethereum like floors just kind of held, and then they started going up again. Um, and and I think there's something quite appealing about having a asset class that's still uncorrelated with everything else, which I think pretty much nFTs are the only one uh, around there at the moment. Um, and so you're seeing more and more of these hedge funds, actually long nfts who actually own a bunch of them, and now they're starting to accrue some value, and there's you know like i mean it's still small for the hedge funds, you know, like maybe five ten. 20 million dollars in in holdings so not crazy um but it's it's becoming attractive because the properties of the nfts are slightly uncorrelated i think there's something around them actually being quite illiquid kind of means that they're the last thing people sell because you you kind of because they're illiquid and you're paying such like a liquidity premium to get rid of them so there's something interesting about them than just being different enough to traditional assets and and currencies that they like uh, provide interesting trading strategies. Um, Lots of market makers, so crypto market makers also looking to, to kind of get involved. You know, if you think about it that you, you know, for the, anything besides the top end projects, you're making 30, 40 plus percent um, like APRs uh, as a lender, right? So there's not many places we can get those kinds of yields um, in like the the uh, like traditional, like traditional DeFi. Uh, um, but yeah, so they're really interested. A couple of banks kind of asking around, but, you know, like banks are very slow. So, you know, I think probably not next cycle, but the cycle after, but they're starting to kind of ask and at least individuals at banks are quite interested, um, you know, to to kind of understand the actual market. So um, so definitely think next cycle, you'll see more and more professional people coming in. Um, but I mean, even, I mean, the DAOs are, you know, so it's a DAO, but everybody in it are ex like hedge funds or like um, investment banking or high-frequency traders, you know. Right, so um, they're pretty sophisticated people who are just a little bit more risk tolerant than the organizations they were in before, who are now leaving to start something that's kind of crypto-native.
1: You know, Ash, what's what's interesting from that little clip is you can see that Stephen has a little giggle there because he's like, NFTs, they're just a league of its own. But notice that he said even hedge fund managers are stacking a few away. Ash, people get excited when they hear about institutional investment, particularly our visionaries, because we're very serious about finance. But as a retail investor myself, I'm still mind blown that NFTs can be used as collateral do you make of it how many people do you think in hedge funds is, is taking this seriously
0: well i guess it depends what we mean by hedge funds elaine so i suspect he's talking about traditional crypto hedge funds uh, although some folks in traditional capital markets at slash macro hedge funds may be uh investing or speculating with their own personal capital i haven't seen a groundswell of support uh in traditional hedge funds for speculating in and the nft market in fact i've i've not heard of it uh you don't see them in 13f statements generally they are going to be prohibited from investing in nfts for client accounts by the inception agreements of those funds Uh, but i suspect that people who are involved in hedge funds are probably looking at this and perhaps investing for their own account. Another intriguing notion is this idea of non-correlated assets. I guess the question that I have is how long can it last, especially with institutional investors uh, in the form of crypto hedge funds piling into the space? So we've talked about this here on the show before many times, Elaine, the idea that we're seeing the correlation trade go to one. That's another way of saying when central bank liquidity comes in, you see essentially assets trading at very high correlations, meaning if the Fed is easing uh, or not tightening, or if there's an expectation that they're going to tighten less than previously thought, you see the price of all risk assets rise. I've often joked that if your employer blocks the price of Bitcoin somehow on your computer, you can just look at the price of the NASDAQ 100 for the day and know roughly the directionality and magnitude of the change. This is just a, a function of the way markets work when you have central banks providing liquidity to support asset prices more broadly, uh, and now attempting to withdraw it. So how long can this non-correlated pricing last? That's an open question we're going to have to see. Finally, he mentions 30 to 40% on APR. Uh, Aside from the top projects, he says, that's very, very high in terms of the rate of yield. Uh, High rates of return, as we know, are correlated with high risk. So again, ICBTR, it's cool, but there's risk.
1: Ash, trying to tr- trigger off the, all the non-suitable for work notifications. All right, heading into our last clip, future of mainstream adoption. Take a listen.
2: That, you know, future mainstream adoption that, that you are flagging, um, obviously, you know, with, with kind of like trustless, decentralized systems, um, the user really relies on themselves a lot. Right. Um, yeah. and that's what kind of like happened in my situation where I didn't set a calendar reminder of the right date, and I ended yes. up having to go buy my my punk back from from the lender that you know my loan automatically foreclosed um on mm-hmm. me. And how do you see that or how do you think about that being an obstacle for broader adoption? You know, when the retail user comes in, they already have to deal with, you know downloading a wallet, securing the private keys, understanding all the processes. And then, you know, all this decentralization also requires them to really be like, bear a lot of responsibility, that like, kind of a way yes. web to abstracted away from, from doing things online. Do you guys see it as a challenge? Do you see it as an opportunity? How's Niftify thinking about this?
3: Uh, so... In a way, we're a little bit shielded from that because by the time people come to us, they've already got ether and they've already got NFTs, right? Like, so, so somebody else has already kind of helped them cross that that um, that hurdle. But I do think, as a space, it's important for us to kind of have an easier onboarding kind of process. Uh, I think the way Flow has done it is actually quite good, where you kind of have this same custodial experiments where it's all priced in dollars and you just pay with your credit card but at any point you can then move it off um and like fully like take control of it yourself um so so i think we should probably see more of that and i think for some people it makes sense to actually just never own your pr- own private keys um you know like there's there's a certain amount of risk that comes along with like, you know, taking all of that responsibility yourself. Right. Um, and, uh, so, so I don't think it's appropriate for everybody to own their own private keys. Uh, so over the long run, I definitely see, uh, more centralized custodial players kind of filling a niche for, for, for people who kind of want that extra like handholding. And, um, but, you know, for us, we're just a settlement layer, right? So there's nothing that's stopping an institution to kind of still do the loans with us, but kind of have that their own kind of um, like custodial solution on top of us. Um, and then, I meaning like in your case, for example, I just think that there's a lot more, you know, it's also new, and there's just so much more that can be done, right? So like, one of the things we're adding now is, um, you will get a add to calendar link in your notification emails and on the page um, that you uh, when you're looking at an asset that's like just uh, entered alone, so that you at least you don't have to manually put it in and do all the calculations yourself. You know we can kind of help you kind of um, uh, take that one step out. Uh, I think over time, like Ethereum based push notifications are going to become more popular and mainstream, so that there's you know additional ways to kind of build all of these safeguards and things around the fact that you know, these transactions are immutable and you kind of, they're done when they're done. Um, so I think we're just very early in the space still. There's just a lot of work to be done and lots of tooling to be figured out. And ideally, we come up with a solution that still gives people optionality to exit, but have a little bit of um, more security around kind of accidentally making a mistake.
1: Look, Sergio is one of my NFT heroes and a mentor in this space. I'm a serious lurker on his Twitter page, and I get a ton of alpha from his tweets. Moments ago, I actually retweeted out live, tagging him, and he DMs me to ask me straight away, Do I need to shower? <laughs> Classic degen mode. He thought but he was on the show. Seri- he live. thought he was on the show live. <laughs> Bless his heart. But all seriousness. <laughs> Um, look, even someone like Sergio lost his punk for a hot second, OK, which, by the way, you can listen to that full story right here on Real Vision with our macro queen, Maggie Lake, on her latest episode on My Life in four Trades. The quote I picked up from that clip, Ash, was users rely on themselves a lot. And that's where I think it will be tough. Crypto is noisy, people are busy, and people miss deadlines. We spoke about this, Ash, on our last show. Complexity is risk, right?
0: Yeah, you know, Elaine, the, the future question here really is about mainstream adoption. Pessimists and cynics would say if, optimists would say how. I think I'm actually in the optimist camp on this one, despite pointing out some of the numerous risks in the space, especially around short-term, uh, indeed, and long-term price volatility and varying projects. I think think Sergio makes an excellent point here where he says, decentralization means responsibility. Uh, He asks if it's a challenge or an opportunity. I think it's probably both. It's interesting to me uh, when Stephen talks about more centralized custodial agents and says that some people, quote, will never own their private keys. You know, for me, Elaine, this is really all about building up uh, what computer scientists call abstraction layers, Building the tools and services to make this space simpler and more secure, more user-friendly, uh, and to eliminate some of those challenges to uh, at least attempt to mitigate risk or at least to inform people of the risks. These are all challenges that take very long, you know, multiple years, not weeks or months. To build out. You know, it's funny, Elaine, I did an interview yesterday with Corby Pryor. Uh, We're going to be showing that on this show a little bit later this week. And we were DMing last night. Now, Corby's like a young guy. He's in like his early 20s. And I was telling him about what the internet was like before he was born. And what's interesting about this (laughs) is that, you know, It was such a hassle for people who were on the internet in the the mid-90s, indeed the early 90s. It was really a hassle to do even the most basic functionality to like check your email. You had to log into a Unix shell account. You had to run shell scripts. For people my age, this all sounds familiar. But what's interesting about it is what had to happen to the internet to make it more user-friendly? Now, the, the question, how do you get on the internet, is absurd. You just pick up your phone and you, you look at when it's beeping to see what your emails are or who's texting you. Things have improved dramatically in terms of user interface, in terms of the ability of people to actually interact with this technology. And that's something that I think that we're going to see get built up in this space. But, Elaine, importantly, it takes time.
1: Ash, did you feel like you aged by a billion years old after that conversation?
0: Absolutely.
1: All right, moving on to the key takeaways. Right, so here's what I've learned away, and I hope some of uh, you guys, that for the viewers, that can take away from this conversation with Stephen as well. You know, whether I'm filming with Rao, listening to project founders, or someone like Stephen who is building decentralized apps, the message is consistent here, and it's recognized in the industry across the whole board that there needs to be an easier onboarding process. You know, my next key takeaway is is if you do have a valuable NFT or NFTs, there are lenders benefits and opportunities to earn attractive yield. But you need to have a deep understanding of the space. Stephen mentioned hedge fund managers are in dells. You know, where are those communities and can you start by learning and asking those communities first before you enter the realm of borrowing and lending? Both guests that we just had on come from asset management background in this interview. The NFT space is still so new. People need to take their time with this stuff. Anytime you take out any loan for a new car or a new home, that's a big sense of responsibility. So you really do have to know what you're doing in this space to explore these kind of options more so in the digital realm because in terms of um, security and self-custody too all right and that's it for today's show so we'll dive deep into ben whitby's and jim mcdonald's conversation all about the upcoming ethereum merge see you tomorrow that's it all for today live on crypto daily briefing (laughs)